Hi, welcome to Talking Usework. My name is Rui Branco and together with Anita Silva, we bring you a podcast where we interview usework experts and practitioners that have a say when it comes to innovation in usework, either because they are using creative methods to empower young people, researching on use trends or responsible for use policies at international level. Like a shot of inspiration, all of our guests have a unique point of view about how can use workers shake up, upgrade and innovate on their daily work. Hello, my name is Anita. I'm an international youth worker and trainer based in Lisbon. And together with Rui Branco, a podcaster and a good friend, we are holding conversations with youth workers, youth researchers, youth policymakers about youth work and innovation. Today we talked with Mark Taylor. Mark is a well-known youth worker and trainer in Europe. He's been around for a while and he's a good friend as well. He is the editor of the only international online magazine focused on youth work here in Europe. It's called Coyote Magazine. And in this episode, we explored a little bit the history of the magazine, the impact it has in the field and the challenges it faces, but also what it means to have such a publication on a regular basis, what it means for practitioners, for policymakers, um, for researchers, and for youth leaders at large. So stay with us. Let's talk youth work. Hello, everyone. Once again, uh, we have a new episode. And today I'm sitting in Athens with Mark Taylor and with uh, Rui Branco in the computer who is sitting in Lisbon. Yes. Yes, Rui. <laughs> Welcome both to um, one more episode of our Talking Youth Work podcast. And it's a pleasure to have you with us, Mark. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, well, I think before anything else, uh, you are very known uh, in the European field of youth, uh, but our podcast is heard all over the world. So, so I would ask you to present yourself. What do you do? What do Why I do? You? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I uh, sometimes call myself a relatively nice dinosaur. Okay. Because I know I've been around for quite a long time. Um, I've been involved in youth work um, for a, long, for a long time too. Um, and I would say that it changed my life completely when I was 14 uh, with a youth exchange. At 14? At 14, a little wow. youth exchange. Where was the youth exchange? Group to group youth exchange between the twin towns of Grimsby and the most beautiful town in Germany called Bremer, Bremerhaven. So that was UK and German? Yes, it was indeed. And I had no idea what I was letting myself in for uh, at all. Um, I was just very worried that all Germans were still Nazis because <laughs> when I was a, a boy, then the Second World War was still going on. Okay. And I found, found, amazingly enough, that they turned out to be real people and very nice people and interesting people. And I even started learning German by myself then after wow. that trip, after that. That was some impact. That was a real impact. And 
Without that, I would not be married to an Austrian woman living in Strasbourg, working as a European trainer, I'm sure. Okay, so that's what you do, you're an European trainer? I'm a European trainer and I also write pedagogical materials. So, and uh, the one I'm most proud of is working on Coyote magazine. Very cool. Well, um, this is one of the reasons um, um, we wanted to have you on our little show here, because the Coyote magazine um, is also a very known uh, publication in the field of youth in Europe. And it's the only one I know, uh, the only magazine that is solely dedicated to the youth sector internationally in terms of um, the European scope. Am I correct? Yes, I, I think it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. There used to be a, a magazine called uh, Tools for Learning, which was to a certain extent uh, concentrated on, as it says, tools for learning in the youth field. Uh, but that stopped working a while ago. Okay, so for how long does Coyote exist, actually? Coyote exists, amazingly enough, for over 20 years now. Wow. And um, it started... Um, a year after the partnership was founded between the Commission of the, no, the European Commission and the Council of Europe uh, uh, in the field of youth, uh, where they wanted to join forces to see how they could actually make use of what is often known as synergy um, to see what could be the best out of both youth sectors, if you like. Okay, so it's a cooperation between two major institutions in Europe, the Council of Europe and the European Commission. Exactly. Right. So in, it's also a really nice dinosaur publication. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask, why a magazine? Why, why, why did you start a magazine? Uh, well, um, the origi original, I mean, I've been involved with Coyote since it started. I was just a member of the editorial team at the time at the time, and we were told to create what was known as an educational link, um, which uh, basically a kind of a newsletter with more than just news in it. Um, and we thought that was a really boring name to give it, A, and B, we thought it would be great to have um, a magazine that was solely looking at European youth work and different issues within European youth work. Um, and at that time, um, the partnership was concentrating mainly on training and curriculum development. Um, but since then, in the last 20 years, it's really widened out a lot. But the idea of having a magazine, there was really a, a paper edition of this magazine. Um, and since four, three, four years now, uh, it's, been, it's been only online as a magazine. Mm -hmm. And and how many times a year it comes out, or what is the frequency? Um, it's fluid. <laughs> it's, it's it's slightly fluid, but I would say uh, on average one and a half times a year. Okay, uh, explain the half because <laughs> doubt is out. <laughs> Do you tease people and put only half articles out? <laughs> no, no, no. We we um, one of the things we've been experimenting with is um, putting out the magazine in. Batches, okay. so batches of articles, uh, which gives us more time to get in contact with the, with the best authors, and also also to make sure that we um, we keep up an interest in the magazine um, throughout the year. All right, All right, very cool. And in terms of content, 
you cover issues related to the youth sector, but can you give us examples of what can a person read in Coyote? So what what kind kind what what can people read in Coyote? Um, usually, it's a, a theme. Coyote has got uh, is concentrated on a theme, which is a burning issue of the time for youth workers, mm -hmm. for the youth work field, for researchers, for policymakers. So uh, um, the last issue was all about training uh -huh. um, and different uh, advances in the field of training. Then at the moment we are... Uh, training in youth work. Training, of course, okay. of course, in, in, in youth work. Mm -hmm. um, and at the moment we're looking at the uh, issue, issue of youth social rights or social rights for young people okay. um, and looking at examples of that looking at uh, the policy um, ramifications of how do young people get their their rights what kind of um, impact does that have especially on local municipalities throughout europe um, i think that's very important um, and the issue that will work that, that will be the next one will be about rural youth so mm. that's the priority of the Croatian presidency of the European Union at the moment in the youth, youth field. Uh, and it's um, a sector of youth work which has been very badly overlooked by many. So we want youth to... Youth in rural territories, yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So, and as you will know, I, I presume, just about every European country has the same same problem: is that the young people disappear from um, from the rural communities because they, of lack of opportunities. Because of lack of lack of opportunities, because of lack of services, because of lack of things to do, um, and also, obviously, um, in many ways, cities are seen as being much more ex exciting places to go to yeah. and develop a career. So you really cover um, issues that somehow different countries in Europe would have in common when it comes to the challenges and the trends in the youth sector. But having having common or or, or, or things are different. Okay. So we try and highlight um, obviously that uh, in in Europe quite important to highlight is that different styles of life, different um, way, ways of organizing our societies are still very prevalent in, in Europe. Um, and if you yes, look at true. the response to the coronavirus, for example, where health systems are very closely guarded as being a national responsibility, then it, it's quite quite illuminating to, to think about that in terms of the structural um, limitations and highlights in each country and the different approaches in different countries yes absolutely yeah. absolutely i have one question is that how does uh, the coyote magazine or the the work that you do as a uh, editor-in-chief uh, feeds your work and your work feeds also the magazine uh, how does per perspective that when you travel to do some training if it if you bring some subjects that you investigate in the magazine and the other way around also I think this is this is something which uh, I'm especially proud of and interested in is that um, an enormous amount of articles in the Coyote archive because the whole history of the magazine is now online. 
um, through a lot of work from um, partnership, partnership secretariat. Um, so we have everything from 1999, and um, we have been uh, consulted for the new edition of what's known as the TKIT series, um, where they're re-looking at um, training essentials. But maybe we need to explain to our listeners what are the ticket series, because many people might yes, not know. Yes, well, the partnership, one of the things, that one of the synergies that they found was uh, getting people who were um, involved in the Council of Europe's youth work um, together with people who were involved in the Commission's youth sector uh, uh, to pool their knowledge, experience, skills, to bring... Um, into being a line of publications which would help trainers to address different issues. Um, so you have one on international volunteering, you have another one on conflict uh, prevention, you have ones um, on, on intercultural learning, all these kinds of things um, where it's been really, really useful for trainers to have those uh, resources which are a collection of theoretical um, background, but also practical exercises to use with participants in training courses. Um, um, and as I said, we were uh, looking at the ticket number six, which is called Training Essentials, which is about how people do work on, on work on and construct training courses. And in, in really a lot of articles, um, we were able to point the new authors to within the Coyote archive. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. Yeah. And so, and also, I mean, there is, I, I suppose I should say this, there is a little article in, in each Coyote called marker, which is written by somebody who has a name, which is very similar to that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you will find there some whimsical pieces about, which are drawn very often from, my experience as a trainer and other people working in the field. Mm. Um, so there is definitely a loop through mm -hmm. which I go. That's very, that's very interesting because as an international trainer in the field of youth, you travel a lot, obviously, and you are in contact with different actors. And that also gives you a, a more in, maybe integrated vision of what's going on and who's who's doing what at a certain moment. Well, it helps, certainly, yeah. but, but nobody has an overview, overview, which is why we have the, the, the magazine always has an editorial committee hmm. uh, or editorial team uh, put together specially for each each edition, um, which would include um, people from NGOs, from institutions who have a specific uh, expertise within the theme we are, we are trying to explore because there, there we really do try to scan the field um, on a particular subject, find out which are the authors that could be the best to write for us, um, and also convince people who are not usually writing <laughs> for an international public to risk it, to take the challenge. And a lot of those, are, a lot of articles that come out of that, particularly, um, are ones which live on and on and on. This is very interesting, I think, because one um, problem, or at least a challenge that I, I see in the field, is that 
practitioners many times are a bit afraid of writing down their work or or their expertise in that sense or their uh, research many of them are doing some kind of action research and there's i first of all there's not so many spaces for them to publish stuff and even when there is they don't have the self-confidence uh to publish i don't know if you feel that or if you you have that well what one of um one of the things that I and my colleagues in the editorial team, we spend most of our time on is actually coaching the authors right. in a way. It's really because what we want to do is, A, we don't want them to write a British English article because many of the people um, who are writing for us, English is at least their second, third or fourth language. Um, so they're very, very worried at the, at the beginning that they have to write perfect English. So we say, no, 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 don't worry about that. We have proofreaders who can help you with it. And the second thing is in terms of structuring their articles and illustrating them. There we work very closely with each individual author to make sure that uh, um, the spirit of what they want to say comes through in a way that hopefully appeals to people, again, who are reading with English as their second, third, fourth, or fifth language. Yeah, that's, I think that's that's a brilliant job because there is there is this paradigm of how theory influences practice, but also how practice should influence theory and decision-making at political level, et cetera. So if you don't have that, uh, how do you say, bottom-up, um, process of the practitioners, the ones in the field with the grassroots writing as well and, and mainstreaming their practices and stuff, um, then you are missing one of these these movements of um, informing the decision makers and the researchers about what's going on as well. Yes, yes, but also vice versa that yeah. uh, we get very often we, we do our best to get people from who are policy makers mm -hmm. within institutions to explain what they do um, and also for researchers um, to write in a non-academic language as far as we possibly can. Hmm. So um, we don't allow, for example, um, footnotes with one and a half pages of arguments <laughs> in them. So footnote, the, the, a footnote is really just a reference. Mm -hmm. So if you've got something to say, then put it in the text is our message. Well, I'm very happy to hear that this is a democratic thing, that everyone has troubles in writing down for a wider audience, either politicians or everybody has a problem getting out of their bubble, probably. <laughs> That's very reassuring in a way. <laughs> and the thing is, that usual, usually the, the people that are used to write they, they don't it's less engaging usually the writing and sometimes the the people that are uh, trained doing the training the people more in the practice the, the stories are more engaging because are more human because usually involves stories that happen to them it's not like some big theory that was developed in some place yeah yeah i think that's that's true and i think it's also really important to show um like we've done with the enter recommendations in the current coyote um what are the enter recommendations yes i will tell you that in a, in a second and the enter project in the council of europe youth field um has been a, a way of really trying to work as inclusively as possible um trying to get in, in touch with young people from all walks of life, mm -hmm. but especially from what at the beginning of the project was called disadvantaged neighborhoods. Um, 
you can argue like hell about the terminology, but I think everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, and the way that um, people have used what have been what was was called the enter recommendation by the Committee of Ministers of the Council of Europe. So they make recommendations to local policymakers, to municipalities, how they should, could include young people and the youth organizations in their locality and in their policy decisions and give them resources, etc., etc. So um, there are numerous examples in the current edition of youth organizations who have done exactly that, used these recommendations, gone to their local municipality and said, look, our country voted for these, these let's have something, let's make a dialogue about this, let's negotiate. So it becomes also a tool to in increase participation uh, in the local political life and to have local political changes yes. in the field of youth. Yes, so it has a real impact. It's not just European blah, blah, blah. Mm, great. Well, I think you're mentioning something that um, from the beginning you talked a lot about the partnership, the council, the commission. And so it sounds really that this is a good example of a a regular publication that was created or initiated by politicians, so top-down. Certainly policy makers, I'm okay. not sure whether they're po not really politicians okay. as such, mm -hmm. but policy makers, yes. And so the audience of your magazine, is it just youth workers? No, um, we aim we aim to cover um, a, a whole a whole raft of people, if you like. I mean, not only youth practitioners, youth workers, youth trainers, but also people who work in institutions and people who do research. And what we discover more and more these days is that um, people actually are turning in more and more into hybrids, hmm. meaning that you get a researcher who also does some training or you have a trainer who also includes research in their in their work um, or policy makers who um, also like to be involved as trainers because they've come through that kind of training in the past and they don't want to lose that mm -hmm. uh, um, so it's it's not just working for three for three different publics it's working for a whole range mm -hmm. I think. this this raises me a question which is we've been talking in other episodes about this youth ecosystem, the youth work or youth sec sector ecosystem, uh, where all these stakeholders are, are part of, uh, the young people themselves, but also youth workers, like you said, youth trainers, researchers in the field of youth, policy makers in the field of youth. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, for to, to make this ecosystem more more balanced and more alive, I feel that there should be more connection. And a magazine like Coyote creates these connections and mainstreams and creates more dialogue, let's say, between all these parts. Would you agree or would you say that we needed more of these kind of initiatives? <laughs> I think um, what would be good would be, first of all, to give more resources to this particular initiative. Um, <laughs> nice. Forever, whoever is listening, <laughs> maybe provide. <laughs> yes, um, but um, in order to 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 uh, increase this side of dialogue um, promoted and encouraged by the magazine, 
because there are there are not enough resources for us mm. to run um, enormous live webcasts mm. and things like this. This just doesn't exist. But I think we need a diversity of voices. I mean, there are there are things like the. Uh, organization on open youth work, for example, at European level, who provide a kind of, um, who, who started producing a kind of yearbook, um, things like that. Um, so I, I notice certainly there is more movement on this. There is more um, possibilities for um, structured dialogues. There's more possibilities for um, rather large events like the European Youth Work Convention, things like this, which I think are, have, have really helped in making the profile of youth work within Europe a bit higher. Yes, and for, also for the sector maybe to be more recognized. Yes, yes, I think so. I think mm. so. And I'm really, really glad that you used this uh, terminology, what was it? Uh, ecosystem. Because mm. I'm absolutely fed up of people talking about we're all stuck in our bubble bubble <laughs> and i think i don't know um, bubbles are very 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 thin things you just go pop and they're gone whereas an ecosystem no i think it's important that we talk about this ecosystem as being a, a living thing which goes through many challenges and changes and all these kinds of things things and we stop talking about this bubble thing uh, for the youth work sector. I'm really fed up about this bubble thing. It annoys me a lot. Um, so I think it's possible to make this ecosystem even more lively, even more, give more possibilities for debates about what should be the priorities. I really, really think that, the, the for example, the European youth goals, which were done really through a participative way, as far as possibly could be done, um, by Don, Dan Moxon and Andre Barta, two researchers in charge of that. That was, was really a, a very, very, very good development within the field, I think. Mm. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, go ahead, Rui. Uh, I, I was uh, thinking also of the, the, the term bubble, ecosystem, and sometimes being an outsider of youth work, uh, I feel that... Uh, um, it's needed to have someone uh, to to be curious about youth work that talks about youth work. For, I was thinking about, for example, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, he wrote a book where he he picked up on the myth or the the studies of the ten thousand hours from Ericsson, and he made it mainstream. I don't feel that anyone is curious enough about youth work to write something that makes use work and use issues more mainstream. Uh, could uh, Coyote help with that, for, for example? We do our best, sir. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the people writing are still involved in use work? Mainly, yes. Mainly, yes, in, in, in different ways. Could we give a platform for people who are outside youth work to talk about it? To, to make them it, curious enough or... Yeah. I, I get your point. Um, I think um, there is, for example, at the end of this year, in November, December, there is the third European Youth Work Convention. Um, that could be a very, very good opportunity to uh, bring people from outside in to say, I am, I'm interested in what you do. 
I don't know enough about it, tell me more. And also to, to give people some motivation. I remember there was the German organization responsible for international youth work, EAB, um, celebrate, celebrated one of its anniversaries uh, at the old German National Parliament building in Bonn. And EAB invited for their anniversary conference um, Daniel Kohn-Bendit, who uh, was involved in the 1968 riots in, in Paris, was one of the ringleaders there, since went on to be, become a politician uh, for the Greens. And he came to give a speech to the assembled, assembled masses and was wonderful. Really, 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 really hit the nail on the head about trying to have a European dimension in your lives, trying to, to, to yes, make this, 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 all these words that people say about, about um, European solidarity actually may mean something. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, I think people, more people like him should be uh, brought in and challenged and helped and encouraged and provoked to comment on, on what's happening in the youth world, yes. Yeah. yeah, because there's someone, something that we've talked in other episodes is that it's a very rich ecosystem that people don't know even know the beginning of it. And it's rich, has done a lot of work, and people don't even know anything about it. It's a pity. Yes, I, I think that sometimes I, I make this comparison and, and a lot of people don't like it because it seems like we're comparing ourselves to the dark side. But um, if you look at business, uh, you will have a lot of magazines, a lot of publications, um, regular, very regular on a weekly basis, just to spread information, uh, opinion making, uh, articles, etc., uh, new trends among that ecosystem. And I like to compare us to business, not that, not to that we are going for the same goals, but because it's to create a community, you need to have channels where information flows, where different stakeholders share their points of view, um, where, like we said before, practitioners can also have a platform to share their practices. This is, I think, part of a healthy ecosystem. And in that sense, um, having Coyote, uh, I think, makes a difference. Uh, but also, I would say, what, what you were saying, Rui, having people from the outside more interested in what we do makes a difference. But also having youth workers interested in reading this in this information i would say it makes a big difference yes indeed yes indeed <laughs> well and also use workers willing to talk to the outside yes 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 yeah i mean the, i don't know how much you want to go into this but um one of the things about the youth field that i've observed over the last hundred years um <laughs> is that you have you you really have um a kind of dual think because hmm. obviously Obviously, 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 um, everybody would, would, would love more resources, um, more things, things to more support, more political support. Um, and at the same time, there is there are some some parts of youth work which do not want to open up to the rest of the world. Mm. They want they are convinced that their way of working is wonderful. Um, and they don't want any inspection from the outside on it. They just want people to give them the money and they can go and do their work, which is 
fine in many ways, I think, but uh, it doesn't help very much for transparency. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to develop the the system itself, the ecosystem itself, the whole yes, the whole sector. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, try to fight that with this episode, and I want to ask you: How can people find Coyote Magazine, or where? Where can they find Gordon Magazine? Well, they just they just plug into the interweb <laughs> and and they go to um, Google and they write Coyote Magazine. No, they 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 write Coyote Youth Work Magazine. Okay, that's the easiest way to find us um, because if you just write Coyote Magazine, you might end up with an old Spanish fascist cowboy <laughs> magazine. It's true. Um, from many decades ago. Um, and there is also in France, for example, the Coyote is the name of a, um, a, a warning system to tell you when police are nearby or <laughs> when speed traps are out on the, on the autoroute. So, it all makes um, sense. It all makes, makes sense in the end. Of course it does. But um, I do have to tell you why we chose Coyote as the name. Well, tell us. Yes, because... Coyote is the 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 um, we we were sitting around in the offices of Yint, the which is the national agency in for Flanders um, in Belgium, uh, because the training officer was a member of the editorial committee at that time, and we were searching for 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 a name for the magazine, and this once uh, one of one of one of the people there found the book called the Hutchison Dictionary of Symbols. Mm -hmm. And there we found Coyote, a resourceful animal whose blunders or successes explain the condition of life in an uncertain universe. And that seemed to us to be absolutely perfect. <laughs> you know? Fantastic. So that's, that's the way Coyote was born as a name for this magazine. It's a little bit like, I don't know, naming a band Led Zeppelin Nobody thinks about lead and zeppelins and things nowadays. They just think about communication breakdown or stairway to heaven or something like that. So the hope with Coyote is that uh, it just attracts attention. And people go, oh, well, that's interesting. Let's have okay. a look. Well, I think if you took it from a, a book of symbols, I'm happier with Coyote than Triangle or <laughs> something like that. Could have been very cool. Okay, so we know where to find the magazine. Just look for Coyote Youth Youth Work magazine. Uh, it's an European-based magazine, uh, but uh, I believe it can have a lot of interesting uh, information, articles, research for youth work wherever you are. Basically, to finalize our conversation. We have a question from our last guest, and Rui will share that question with you, and we hope that you have an informed answer, or you can make a whole edition of Coyote on it if you want. <laughs> oh, that would be cool. Uh, the question was left by Joe Kleis, and the question is, what could be done to give adults their innocence of childhood back? That's a very nice, simple question from Uncle Yo. <laughs> Yes, indeed. I can see him in, in the village of Marmaleva, um, underneath his bay leaf trees, thinking that one up. Um, I think, um, firstly, you'd have to think about, do, do adults want their innocence of childhood back? Um, but to be more positive about it, I think to be more child, 
not to be more childish, but to be more childlike sometimes is very, very helpful. And we should be encouraged to do that from the very earliest age, I think, so that when adults grow up, they are encouraged to have that childlike vision of the world, to remain playful, to um, go out and experiment and play and get dirty and that kind of thing, and be uh, as natural as they possibly can in their relationships with other people. So I think a non-formal learning, of course, and informal learning could play a big role in that. Yeah. And I would say do all that, but uh, wash your hands afterwards. Oh, <laughs> oh, definitely. definitely yeah. Because we are in the middle of the coronavirus <laughs> um, big uh, crisis right now. Okay, thank you so much. Before you go, would you please leave us a question for our next guest? Well, um, I think here, Rui, you'll have to make a, make a choice because I've got three Rui, one, two, or three? <laughs> yes, one, two, or three. Or so, do you say the three we choose? Yeah, you choose. Okay. Anyway, here we are. So, I like this is the number two. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question is, can blue men play the whites? Can. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Second question. I'm already sorry for the next guest. <laughs> yes. What is, what could be, what do you think should be the role of youth work in preventing another coronavirus pandemic? All right. All right. Yes. Then lastly, um, what value can poetry have in your life? Mm -hmm. Give an example of a life-enhancing poem in your life. All right, so we have very three different and creative questions here. <laughs> I think we do one more guest and then nobody else wants to come to one. <laughs> I think that's, that's the, the aim of this exercise. Well, um, it's late where we are here in Greece. Uh, um, and you're tired because you had a long day. And we are tired. Yes, but it was such a, a great talk. Thank you, Mark, for accepting this challenge of talking to us a little bit and sharing your enormous knowledge and experience in the field. Um, of dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I was avoiding the word. I was avoiding, avoiding. <laughs> By the way, you notice that when you are in the beginning of your career, you say with a lot of pride, you know, Oh, yes, I have 10 years in the field, whatever the field is, you know, I have 10 years in the field. And then after a few years, you start saying like, yeah, I have a lot of experience. And he's talking, <laughs> talking about this, you say like, ah, yes, I'm one of the senior experts. So I like a lot your expression with nice dinosaur. You are a very nice person. And uh, thank you so much once again. Well, thank you both. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And see you um, tomorrow morning when we continue our training. <laughs> We do have, of course, in Coyote, the the mascot of uh, Coyote is uh, Spiffy the Coyote. Mm, Spiffy. Spiffy, yes. Spiffy has gone through a lot of changes over the years, and they are uh, very fluid in their identity these days. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but always, 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 you have to remember to do the Spiffy Howl. What is the Spiffy Howl? <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> This podcast is produced by Tim Maes with the support of UMAC, University of Applied Sciences.